Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Meredith. This episode features expert insight from a webinar titled Hepatitis Delta in Focus, answering the questions on screening, diagnosis, and treatment. Featuring Dr. Maria Buti, Professor of Medicine at the Valdebron University Hospital in Barcelona, Spain, and P.A. Richard Davis, Senior PA at the University of Florida Health in Gainesville. For the full online educational program, including downloadable slides, please visit the link in the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what our expert faculty have to say about this topic. I know that some of the questions that have come up before, uh, what are some of the barriers to screening? Is there any provider bias or even patient bias? I mean, certainly in our practice uh, in the U.S., Many of the patients that we find with Delta could be uh, immigrants from some of the endemic areas, uh, say central, the Middle East, uh, Central or Eastern Asia, uh, South America, Africa. And so they may be a little reluctant in order to seek medical care in the first place. And in some cultures, and we still have a tough time, and I'm sure many of you have discovered this as well, of even getting patients screened for hepatitis B, even if a family member had hepatocellular carcinoma, and then trying to screen the rest of the family, there's some, there is a bit of a taboo about this. And Maria, have you seen this in, in your practice in Spain as well? Yes, I have seen uh, a similar things. Uh, for this reason, we believe because nobody, or well, it's difficult to think on Delta, when you have a patient without uh, risk factors, or sometimes it's difficult to identify the country of origin of, of the patient, I think it's really important reflex testing. Uh, reflex testing, you can do it automatically, clearly increase the diagnosis, and you don't, you don't need to think any time about hepatitis delta. Uh, for me, it's an important step to increase delta diagnosis. And I am sure that the new guidelines currently in Europe is working in a specific delta guidelines. I am sure uh, these aspects will be approached. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, there is a to... question, uh, Rick, there is a question in, in the chat. What kinds of risk factors will a patient need to screen for hepatitis delta? Uh, well, that's a good one. Many of them are the same as they are for hepatitis B as well. But also, uh, if you know where a patient, if they're coming from an endemic area or they have family members or uh, contacts, certainly patients who are have uh, high sexual risks for sexually um, transmitted infections, men who have sex with men, IV drug users, this would be the kind of the same group also with hepatitis B, but also knowing uh, if they come from an endemic area or have a family history of uh, hepatitis in the family as well. Can I add a comment on this mm -hmm. uh, regarding risk factors? Risk factors are clearly important, but when we did the reflex testing, 60% uh, of the individuals didn't have any risk factor. Sometimes the doctor I don't ask about risk factors. Mm -hmm. But in addition, several times, uh, patients don't tell to physicians about risk factors. So basic screening on risk factors clearly 
infradiagnosis the number of cases of hepatitis delta. Good point. And Ronald here has a question about, has the incidence of uh, HDV in the U.S. and worldwide markedly increased over the last five to 10 years? And Maria, if you can clarify this, I think there has been different statistical um, measures looking at the incidence over time. And I think we're getting a little bit better about it now. And there's more availability of testing that was not always available um, commercially and especially in different parts of the world as well. Certainly in North America, we're seeing it now with the commercial laboratories. They all have testing for anti-HDV and for HDV RNA. I remember not too many years ago when we would have to send out actually to research centers uh, and have their research lab actually confirm an HDV RNA, but now that it's uh, commercially available. So I think that uh, our awareness of it and our screening has gotten better. I'm not, I'm not sure if the overall incidence of this has increased um, over the past five years or not. And, and your thoughts, Maria? Yeah, I completely agree. I think now we are more aware on hepatitis Delta. We think more in Delta when we see a patient with hepatitis B, and we have a better test for screening for hepatitis Delta. If you look at in my country, the epidemiology of hepatitis Delta is changing. 20 years ago, it was more an autochthonous disease. And now we see more Delta immigrants, immigrants from countries where the vaccination programs against hepatitis B are suboptimal. So I think the epidemiology, it changes. I am not sure if the incidence is declining in some countries. At least the profile of, of patients is it changing. Probably... If you are doing things very well, if vaccination programs are very well implemented in countries, then, of course, the incidence of hepatitis delta should decline. Well, here's another question about what advice would we give to patients who are hepatitis B surface antigen positive, uh, and they're positive for anti-HDV, but their HDV RNA is negative? Uh, should we continue to monitor and how frequently should we check them uh, with an HDV RNA at regular intervals and how frequent should, should we do that? I think this is also something that comes in if you know what their risk factors are. If you're dealing with someone who has a promiscuous uh, sexual activity or is a known IV drug user, that may be one group, just like some of your other, like hepatitis C, even though you've treated them and eradicated the disease, they're still at risk of reinfection. But there is something about the Delta virus that I think there was something that was published in gut a few years ago, looking at uh, whether it could replicate within, I think, I'm not sure what the term is. It's similar to like a, a plasmid that, uh, uh, in the cytoplasm that might allow replication of HD RNA. And so that maybe we should be screening uh, these folks who are surface antigen positive, antibody to Delta positive, but HDV RNA negative. Maria, what's what's your experience with this or your practice? Yeah, my practice is that about 20, 25% of patients with anti-Delta 
uh, positive, anti-Delta positive antibodies are not pandemics. That means HCV RNA is undetectable. In this situation, what I am doing is to repeat, to repeat HCV RNA. And if it's again a negative and normal ALTR normal, I think probably uh, these are uh, uh, individuals, people with a past Delta infection that uh, it was solved with interferon or spontaneously. So we know that there is a subset of patients that spontaneously can solve hepatitis Delta. Hmm. So if it's negative after two or three times, I consider this patient without active Delta infection. But I think we need to check, and it's very important to be sure about the sensitivity of, of the test for viremia. Because as you mentioned, uh, Rick, the sensitivity is different. In some labs are not very well standardized. So I think it's very important to have better tests for a diagnosis of Delta viremia. Those are all really good points. And there was one other question about the use of the FibroScan uh, scores in uh, HDV patients and whether this had been uh, validated for hepatitis Delta. And actually, I believe there was a, a study that was done last year, the year before reported that um, I think they had 75 hepatitis Delta patients and they compared it to hepatitis B and hepatitis C patients. And it did correlate very well with uh, liver biopsy. One caveat with this is it seemed that the KPOS scores or the um, measurement of the stiffness of the liver was higher in the Delta patients than they were, even though they were all cirrhotic, they noticed a, a little bit higher KPOS value. And whether this goes along with this more aggressive form of chronic liver disease from Delta with more rapid uh, progression to cirrhosis and more rapid um, episodes of decompensation. There is a question uh, Mark asked about what is the rate of spontaneous clearance of uh, hepatitis Delta? Well, I think we we know that there may be anywhere between 6 and 13% of patients with chronic hepatitis B who are co-infected with Delta, but certainly not all of them go on to you know, a minority of them will go on to have chronic infection. Many will uh, have acute infection and then clear. I, I don't know what the actual rate would be, though. Your thoughts? No, I agree. The majority of acute hepatitis Delta, acute hepatitis B and Delta, cure spontaneously. It's like hepatitis B when HB's antigen disappear, Delta infection uh, is solved. But there is a small percentage, about 5%, that can go to chronicity. And regarding patients with chronic hepatitis delta, the rate, the spontaneous rate of hepatitis delta clearance, I think is, is not very well um, known, but probably this 20% of patients or 30% of patients uh, without viremia and chronic um, anti-Delta uh, uh, anti antibodies, among these 20, 30 percent, there is a percentage that has clear spontaneously uh, mm. hepatitis D. Okay. 
there's another question here from Yusuf regarding patients with HIV infection and chronic hep B. Would it be more advisable to just not do the anti-HDV test, but uh, actually check an RNA uh, for HDV? Uh, I guess that would go for anyone who might be immunocompromised. I completely agree. Everyone who is immunocompromised is better to test for viremia. And there is a, a question about uh, extending treatment duration with PEC interferon. Uh, so treat more than 48 weeks, extending treatment to 96 weeks, particularly if there is a delayed response to therapy with PEC interferon. I think this could be an option uh, for a subset of patients, as you mentioned, you see, has a delayed response. If this, uh, if the patient doesn't have any decline on delta viremia, I think after 48 weeks, we can stop treatment. But if there is a response, and we, particularly with normal ALT, I think extended treatment duration could be an option. And even in the US, in NIH, some years ago, they have treated patients with hepatitis delta with interferon for more than five years. But probably this is changing, and clearly in Europe it's changing because having new drugs like pulivertine, we are now moving to the treatment uh, with combination or with bulivertine monotherapy. Do you like to comment on this, Rick? Yeah. Well, Maria, I had a question on the clinical trials. Many of them used uh, either undetectable virus or a drop of greater than two logs. Do we know with hepatitis delta whether a drop in two logs has clinical improvement? Does it delay progression of fibrosis or decrease episodes of decompensation? No, we don't know this. Uh, I think it's too it's too early to evaluate uh, this endpoint. We know that patients who achieve undetectable persistent undetectable viremia have a better prognosis. So this is clear and less clinical outcomes. But we don't have clinical evidence that a too long decline. Uh, is associated with a better clinical outcomes. We know that some patients treated with bulivertine, particularly those with portal hypertension and compensated liver cirrhosis, because the indication of treatment is for patients with compensated liver disease, not for decompensated patients. We know that some patients achieve a reduction in portal hypertension. But I think it's too early to know if this uh, reduction translates in improvement in clinical outcomes. But this is clearly a very, very important question, Rick. Thank you for the question. And one other clarification, the bulevertide is a subcutaneous injection that's given daily? Yes, it's a subcutaneous injection. It's given daily. It's very well tolerated. It doesn't have the typical side effects of interferon. So I think the acceptance to, to the treatment is very, very good. Mm -hmm. And the prenylation inhibitor, Lofarnib, that is a, an oral agent, but it has its best results when it's coupled with other agents, either interferon or rotanavir? Yeah, 
Lona Fernipitsan oral agent. And the main side effect are gastrointestinal uh, symptoms as adverse event. So to avoid or to reduce these adverse events, the side effects, it's bolstered with ritonavir, as you have mentioned. And then we can reduce the dose of lonafernip. The preliminary results of the lonafernip study seems that the results seems better combined with PEC interferon, but there is only a press release. And also the, the study has um, different strategies for patients with low viremia or high viremia. Mm. There is another question by Pietro saying that it seems that the combination of PEC interferon with bulevertide has a faster response, but bulevertide monotherapy eventually does similar well. Given the small number in the French study, is there an explanation? I am not sure if this is an explanation. Uh, the problem of the French study is, is not a randomized study. So the baseline characteristics of the patients are different. So I think we cannot compare uh, in this study uh, the efficacy and the kinetics uh, between PEC interferon and bulevertide and bulevertide monotherapy. But there is an ongoing phase two study, a randomized study in patients with similar baseline characteristics that evaluates bulevertide versus the combination of bulevertide plus PEC interferon. And I think when we have the results of this study, we can answer this question. We have another question about uh, stopping rules uh, with bulevertide. Stop after two RNA negatives in the last 24 weeks of treatment and HB surface antigen loss, or are there other stopping rules? I suppose this is related to what we did in the hepatitis C uh, trials as far as a sustained viral response. Yeah. So it seems... Stopping rules for efficacy. We don't have stopping rules for uh, efficacy. Bulevertide has been designed and has been used in two different ways. A finite treatment duration for one year, one year of bulevertide and stopping if viremia is undetectable. This is the way that we are now using as a finite treatment duration or in case of HBS antigen loss. And the second way that we use bulevertine is in, in patients with too long decline, uh, maintenance therapy, and we continue treatment with the goal to achieve undetectable viremia and normal ART levels. For interferon, we don't have stopping rules for hepatitis delta. Also, in a similar way that bulevertine, we use the drug for 48 weeks. And many patients are intolerant of uh, interferon, uh, the current ones that are uh, available uh, as well. Yeah. There is another question uh, or a comment by Brad saying that the TULOC drop in, H in viremia has been shown to increase patient survival and and decrease liver fibrosis. This is why the FDA chose this as a right endpoint for response. And I think FDA has 
selected this as a surrogate endpoint for clinical trials. As Rick mentioned, another thing is how this response in the clinical trials translate in survival. And I think we don't have enough data. Perhaps I can say now clearly, we don't have enough data that too long decline translate in a better survival and decrease in liver fibrosis. And I, I know that maybe some of our learners may be wondering why we're not there isn't a role for nucleoside or nucleotide analogs in the treatment of uh, Delta. Uh, this is also very important because we use nucleoside analogs on treatment for hepatitis B and some patients with hepatitis B and Delta that have some low levels of replication of hepatitis B or liver cirrhosis. We treat with nucleoside analogs, but we treat for B, not for Delta. And why are nucleoside analogs are not useful for patients with hepatitis delta? Because nucleoside analogs act inhibiting uh, the replication of hepatitis B, the polymerase. And hepatitis delta doesn't use uh, a viral polymerase for replication. Hepatitis delta used a host uh, polymerize. And for this uh, reason, nucleoside analogs are not useful for hepatitis delta. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Thank you. So last question for you, Rick. What is your final recommendation for testing for hepatitis delta? Everybody, based on risk factors, I think there's more of a, a growing consensus that all patients who are hepatitis B surface antigen positive should be tested for Delta. In our practice, anybody who we're seeing with hepatitis B for the first time, even if it's a transfer of care, we're checking for Delta if they're uh, unsure whether they've been screened in the past. So I, I think we're going to start seeing more reflex testing, uh, hopefully, uh, institutionally, with uh, newer guidelines um, in um, the North American societies. Thank you very much to our faculty and thank you for our listeners for joining in. Please be sure to check back for more episodes on important topics on hepatitis. Thank you and have a great day.